Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. In this episode, I talk to AJ, the founder of Card, a SaaS platform for building simple and fully responsive one-page websites. In 2010, AJ was designing and creating website templates and themes for a living. Around that time, responsive web design was growing in popularity, and it was a skill that AJ wanted to acquire. So he set out to design and build his first responsive site template. When it was done, he put it on his website and let people download it for free. People liked his template, so he kept building more, and people kept downloading those templates and using them to build websites. And then some people started asking if they could pay him for additional features and support. So he decided to charge them a one-time payment of $19. It wasn't a lot of money, but he'd been doing such a great job creating so many templates and building a following that he was quickly generating six figures in annual revenue. But by 2015, AJ was bored of building templates and themes. It had been fun learning a lot of new skills, but he was now ready for a new challenge. And he was intrigued by the idea of site building software that made it easy for non-developers to create websites. But companies like Wix and Squarespace already had products in the market. And he knew he couldn't compete with those companies, so he looked for a different way. And eventually, he narrowed down his idea to a site builder for really simple one-page websites. And it turned out, to be a really good idea that caught on with a lot of people. Today, his business is doing around $30,000 in monthly recurring revenue and is profitable. In this interview, we talk about how he's built a one-person SaaS company with no marketing. And in case you're wondering, it's not a mistake that I didn't mention AJ's last name. He's pretty much anonymous online. No one knows his last name or what he even looks like. But he's a great guy, and I had a lot of fun talking to him, and I hope you enjoy this conversation too. AJ, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. So I always like to ask my guests what gets them out of bed, what drives or motivates them to work on their business. So what is it for you? Oh, I would say pretty much just the challenge of the whole thing. I mean, we work on a project like Carve. There are just so many different hats you have to wear, and Every single day, you're putting on a different hat, and it's always interesting to see what hat I'll have to wear on a given day. And uh, yeah, that really just pushes me forward just to keep working and seeing what's out there. And you're a one-man company, so you have to wear every single hat. (laughs) Yes, it's been fun. Although I do, my uh, longtime business partner from other projects has relatively recently come on to help with some aspects of like moderation and stuff because I would literally have no time left if I had to do that myself too. So the hats are starting to get a little bit too uh, abundant, shall we say. (laughs) So for people who aren't familiar with Card, can you just explain what the product does? Yeah. So it's basically just a uh, one-page site builder for, as the site says, pretty much anything, you know, like a, like a user profile, like for, you know, profile for yourself, for your business portfolio, you know, I've seen a lot of people use it for selling products and stuff. And then just pretty much anything that you want to put on the web, you can pretty much do with Card. And I've seen some use cases that I really didn't anticipate at all. So that's why I try not to just list the, the things that I know, because I know people use it for whatever the hell they want to end up using it for. So that's kind of cool in its own way. 
And in terms of revenue, you, you're doing what, around 30K MRR? Yeah, about 25 to 30 is about where it's been hovering at the last few months. And it's been sort of on the steady incline, which is good. And, you know, against relatively low expenses. So, I mean, it's been, and it's been profitable since day one, which is great. And hopefully I get to keep it that way. Love it. Yeah. Okay. So let's start the story before any of this happened. I know your first, one of the first products you built was called HTML5 Up. Right. And I want to get into that, but what were you doing before you even launched that business? Sure. So this would be like late 2000s, early 2010s. I was designing basically site templates and themes and stuff because around that time, I think it was a pretty hot market. So you could do pretty well for yourself if you were willing to put in the time to do stuff like that and just you know sell it, whatever. And then HTML5 Up actually came from doing that. I had nothing in the way of experience with uh, responsive design. So I was like, well, I need to teach myself this because that's where everything is going. So I rolled it, I guess, into also being a project that I could put out stuff on a site, you know, that people could download for free. Uh, so if you go to html5up.net, scroll right to the bottom, you will see the very first thing that I ever designed responsively. So it looks extremely dated by today's standards, but there it is. And that really kicked off everything else that was to come. Yeah, we were looking at that, right? The mini maxing yeah. theme. <laughs> it's nice in its own way for like early 2010s, I'd say. So were you a designer or web developer? Like what was your skill set when you started out? I guess both. I mean, I tend not to label myself because that you know I've got this thing about labels kind of limiting you to like mentally limiting you to a specific thing. Like I'm a developer. That's all I do, you know. So I did both. It just had a necessity partly, but also just, it was fun just to design, to learn how that works. And then also to do the development side of things because what you learn different things doing that. So I did both and I guess templates and themes were really like a good synthesis of both of those areas of expertise. And so that's pretty much what I did. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point in terms of like labels you know, that could probably lead to a different conversation, but I think that's a, yeah. a pretty astute kind of observation, right? Well, I'm, I'm just full of those, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not really. That's like my only one, but okay. <laughs> All right. So how did you build these skills? Like whether it's design or development, are you self-taught or was it through kind of, you know, college or different jobs or whatever? Like how did you acquire all those skills? It was, I'd say like 90% self-taught, at least like on the design side, development. Also, I'd say, you know, like uh, that I went to school for computer science. Although even prior to that, I'd already been into programming. So I pretty much just chose computer science as a degree just so I could pretty much have an easy time in school. But yeah, it's it's mostly from being self-taught. And I tell people nowadays, like, look, you really don't, for a lot of things now, you don't really have to, you know, incur the debt that comes with higher education for some things because... The internet can now teach pretty much anything you need to know about development or even design to an extent. And a good, a good chunk of my skills I developed just from doing the thing. So that's really my advice. Just do the thing. You'll get better at it. Yeah, I, I remember, I mean, I'm going to show my age here now, but my first computer was a Sinclair ZX81, which was yes, like... That, that you know, definitely shows your age. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, you know, it was like 1K of RAM you had to work on. And I remember like how excited I was when I got this 16K expander that I could plug <laughs> in at the back. But yeah, that's what I do. Like, I, I remember like going and 
and buying these uh, magazines where they had like code of different kind of programs. And I just sit there like copying and typing the stuff up and debugging and, and sort of, you know, making stuff. Right. And I think that's a, it's a really good way to learn. It's like, just, just get in there and just let curiosity kind of just, you know, drive you. Right. I mean, and just at some point you got to get move past theory and get into practice and, and apply, apply that theory in the real world and see where it takes you. And I think that's, that is pretty much how I learned everything I've learned and continue to learn, you know, in some ways that's not good for certain things because then you learn, you learn from mistakes that you didn't have to make. You could have just learned from someone else. So, I mean, I'm not saying that all education is, is, you know, BS or something. I'm just saying like, don't be afraid to just get in there and do it. Yeah. It reminds me, there's a great book I'm reading. Well, I mean, actually listening on audible at the moment It's called ultra learning. And it's exactly about this idea of being able to learn things with purpose about much more kind of action orientated, you know, one guy who became fluent in German in a few months time. I think the author kind of took a four year MIT program and he he couldn't get into MIT, but you know, they make all this stuff available online and he kind of completed the four year course in like a year and actually took the exams as well. Wow. But yeah, it's really, really good book. And I was just like, it just kind of inspired me in terms of, I have a long list of things that I want to learn. And I always think there's not enough time in my life to learn all those things. And then when you actually kind of think about it the other way and say, actually, well, why do I want to learn this stuff? It's like, well, actually, I don't need to master the whole thing. I just wanted to do this one thing. Or, right. you know, if it's a language, I just want to be able to have, have, have conversations with people. Okay, well, maybe just focus on that. And, and it's kind of like a manageable, actionable thing that you can kind of get your, your hands around. But right, you can like learn the first like 90%, well, maybe 90 is a little high, but like, let's just say like 60, 70% of something, the critical things and really get by with that. I mean, that's why it goes back to the whole label thing. I think if you obsess over why well, I want to be a developer, well, then what does that mean? It means you need to learn probably like, it, I think maybe you feel like you have to learn everything when it's like, no, if you just want to make things right, then, okay, just learn the thing, the skills that you need to go make whatever the thing is that you want to make. You don't have to learn databases if the thing you're building doesn't use database. So, you know, you, you can just kind of skip over a lot of things, get to the, where you want to go by just learning what you need to learn. Yeah. Yeah. Not to get on soapbox, but yeah, there you go. No, no, no. I, you know, I was just thinking, I was like, dude, we could, we could probably just do a, a podcast just on, learning stuff. Yeah. Go. Maybe we should talk about that later. <laughs> yeah, go, go. You and yeah, me, sorry. right? New podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about HTML5 up. So you said that it started because you were like, okay, I want to learn about responsive design. So you created that first theme. Yeah. And then like, what was the plan? Like, what were you going to do? Just, I'm just going to create this theme and try to sell it. Or it was just the curiosity to kind of what's involved in doing this. Like, what was the plan? Or was there one? I don't think there was a plan. Like, I'm not going to try to like retrospectively apply a plan either. Like, no, no, there was no plan. Mm -hmm. It was just, yeah, I'm going to make it. I'm going to stick it up there. It's free. If anyone wants it, they can get it, you know, whatever. Apparently, like after, I think maybe after the third design though like that site actually started gaining some traction so that sort of motivated me to make more stuff and beyond that like better stuff so in a lot of ways just the traction that site got really fueled me to up my game and if you could just scroll up through that page starting from the bottom you can just see how both my design and 
I guess, development skills as far as front end development goes really increased over, you know, a relatively short period of time because it was like, wow, people really respond well to this. And, you know, it, there's something to be said about getting that feedback from users like, well, wow, there's, and in this case, I guess it's just the download count is sort of a, uh, a metric that, that I could look at and kind of get a feel for. And it kind of motivated me to move forward and do more. Yeah. And then that eventually led to, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but that site ended up growing pretty big. And you give away the themes that are available for free, right? People can just download any one of those. Yeah. Yeah. You can just download it, use it where it's a uh, creative commons. So, you know, do whatever you just have to keep attribution somewhere on it. It's funny. I'm just going through, I just scrolling up from the bottom of the page and you're right. It's like, it's almost seeing someone's design skills grow as you look at each of these different things. Oh, it's also uh, the amount of effort I was putting in went up a lot. You feel, I don't know, you, you, it's almost like you, you'll do even better work if you get positive feedback for your previous work. You know what I mean? Like, just, the more people appreciate what you do, the more you want to please them in, in terms of what you put out. So you just, it, that, it's like a feedback loop and then you just get better and better. They get a better product, you create better products and it just keeps going and going. Yeah, yeah. Now it's kind of similar to the, this podcast. Like when I started it like, you know, a couple of hundred episodes ago, God, it's like, I, I mean, I don't like listening to my voice anyway and I don't like seeing myself on photos or videos, <laughs> right? Which kind of makes it pretty restricted life. <laughs> but I really cringe when I hear those early episodes. It's like, oh my God, that was terrible. And I think, oh, no, I'm doing much better now. And probably like, you know, a couple of years later, I'll listen back to this episode and go, oh my God, I sound terrible. I think I sounded but, worse. <laughs> but I think what, what, there is, I think if you, if you sort of think about that and you start to see, it's like, hey, every step I'm taking, every time I try this, I'm getting better and better. And, you know, from the first few interviews where I was like, you know, I, I was kind of like reading questions off a script and I wasn't even listening fully to what people were saying. Just try to get through a list. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, what am I going to ask them next, right? That kind of thing. And I remember asking for feedback from people uh, who were listening to the podcast and a number of people said the same thing. It's like, hey, drop the script. Yeah. And that was for me, it was so valuable. It was almost like permission to say, okay, I can screw up. I can kind of forget one question or ask a question I never thought of before the interview. Right. And then eventually you get to a point where it's like, okay, you just have a conversation. It just, you don't really need to have questions prepared. You just talk to somebody and just be interested in what they're, what they're doing and, and try to figure out what that story is and then how you can learn from them. And, right. But it's, it's a process, right? But yeah, you're so right. It's just like getting an email from somebody or, you know, an iTunes review. It really, it kind of, pumps you up to do more and better for the for everyone yeah and over time you just sort of absorb that energy i mean not to get too hippy dippy here but like you, you <laughs> just it just becomes like a, a part of you you just get into this feeling like i just want to keep making better things if, if not for other people then for myself it's sort of like this weird sense of feeling like you're actually moving forward yeah yeah and you're doing it through your own volition from the work that you're doing, the, the products you're creating or, or whatever your product happens to be. Yeah, totally. And, and no issues with the hippy-dippy stuff, man. It's like, you know, I'm in, <laughs> I'm in Washington with the hippie state, right? So whenever you want to come over here, we can <laughs> yeah. kind of go more into that stuff. Oh, yeah, I can go way out there. <laughs> okay, so you've you got HTML5 up going and you're, you're kind of spending more time building these templates. And then the next business you launched or the product was P 
pixelarity. And so what does that do? What's that product about? So it is pretty much like the paid version of HTML5 up. And in many ways, it wasn't really even my idea. I had a, uh, I mean, it kind of goes back to what I was saying last. I mean, the user feedback I got from HTML5 up was just great and, you know, motivating. But also I had people asking like, hey, is there a way I could use this without attribution? Because, you know, it looks a little weird if I have a little credit for some template site at the bottom or whatever. I was like, okay, uh, you know, maybe send me a small tip or something and then you can remove it. I'm like, okay, that's cool. (laughs) And it got to where that happened with enough frequency. And at the same time, people emailing me, you know, asking questions about templates, but also had people asking for support and if they could pay me for it. And so I was like, uh, it looks like people want to pay me money to do something. What can I do? So I basically like sat down. It's like, what can I put together that kind of meets all these needs? You know, lets people use the stuff without attribution while also having, you know, giving them access to support, you know, and be, and in fairness, you know, me getting something out of it because, you know, my time isn't, you know, hundred percent free. I have to eat. So, right. But at the same time, add a bit more value on top of that. And so from all those things, I was able to craft pixelarity, which is pretty much it. You pay a flat amount that gives you a perpetual license to use everything on the site forever, attribution free. And then you choose a plan. The plan gives you X number of months to access downloads or, and or support. And if that, runs out, it's no big deal. You can still use anything you've already downloaded attribution-free forever because the license itself is perpetual. You're just losing access to support. And it adds a bunch of exclusive templates that you don't get on HTML5 up. So it's everything on HTML5 up plus about 50 or so new templates that you couldn't get with HTML5 up. So it's it's a pretty decent deal for 19 bucks to get in at the three-month plan. And that took off really well. So it's 19 bucks one-off payment. Yeah. It's not a monthly thing. Right. $19 for the perpetual license and then three months of access to downloads and support. And again, so if that three months is up, that's okay. Anything you've already downloaded in that time, you can continue to use. No big deal. You don't have to keep paying. Oh, you just kept it really simple. Yeah. Well, it's also because I don't like just, (laughs) it's hard for me to keep track of very complicated things. So I tend to make (laughs) things simple for my own purposes too. It's not all altruistic, but... (laughs) So 93 templates on Pixelarity, and did you design and create all of these? Uh, probably about 70, 80% of them. And I had another designer wow. help me out with some of the other ones. And But you know, with my, I guess, editorial layer at the end of it, just to make sure it kind of fit the feel of all the other ones. And then I had uh, a couple of coders help me out. But again, I would train them in like the way I would code, and then I went in their code after the fact and made sure everything was, you know, to my very stringent standards. So it, it worked out to be a pretty good deal and it, and it worked really well. And it, it, I think it gave people what they wanted out of like a paid version of HTML5 up pretty much. And it, it's, it's an interesting example of a product that I didn't really conceive of myself. As I said, it was just created as a, a way to kind of like, again, further give what my audience wanted which was a, a paid version of this thing that also had some you know support component to it. And I don't see much on HTML5 up other than you have like a banner at the bottom of the page which says, you know, hey, pixelarity, you can get unlimited access and whatever. And is that how people were finding pixelarity and, and people who were choosing to pay were kind of doing that? It's like, 
Yeah, there's that. And I think when you go download, there's like a, hey, if you want to use it, like in an attribution credit-free version of this, go to Pixlarity. Got it. There's not much beyond that. I mean, again, I didn't do any marketing or any ads or anything like that. It's just, just what it is. And how much money did you make or have you made from Pixlarity? Like, did you get a lot of sales? Yeah, I'd say probably at its peak. I mean, it was about... 10 12k a month or so i mean at its peak it was pretty good for what it was and it certainly like gave me enough of like a cushion to move on to the next thing which was a lot more risky and a lot more involved than what i had previously been doing but again it, it really did give me a nice safety net to move on to the next thing so how did you uh come up with the idea for card oh so for that it was a combination of basically being kind of bored with just doing templates. Cause I, you know, at that, at that point, which I think was, I think it was like middle of 20, early 2015, I think early 2015 is when I kind of came up with the idea, but it was, I had been doing templates and themes for well, years at that point, you know, and at some point you're just kind of like, there's only so much you can do for those. You kind of have to move on to the next level. And so I was thinking of, some kind of product I could make that would put all of my skills to use that I had accumulated along the way, which was, you know, a pretty decent thing. Cause you know, to go back to what I was saying, like learning things as I needed to learn them. At that point I had learned everything from, you know, running servers to databases, to backend program, to front end program, to design, you know, the whole, the whole thing. I just wanted to pick a project that would combine all that stuff into one big project where I could really just lean in and just, see how far I can go with everything I had. And I had a few different ideas that I was playing around with. And then one that kind of stuck with me and ended up being a good fit was the idea of a site builder. But then at that same time, I was kind of concerned. It's like, well, we, you know, even early 2015, you had these big guys out there like, you know, Squarespace and Wix and whatnot. I was like, I don't know if I want to do something on that level. I don't think I could with one person, which was another kind of prerequisite. I just wanted to see what I could do. So then... But thanks to HTML5 up, actually kind of guided me in the right direction. Specifically, I had, and I'll just be honest here, back when I was you know, really updating HTML5 up on the regular, I there were times when I was just like, I need to just put something up there that you know that doesn't take me too long to make, quite honestly. So I ended up doing a few one-page templates because I was like, yeah, one page, because the multiple page things are just a hell of a lot more work. So I was like, all right, I'll do a few like quick little one-page things and see, you know, they look pretty, they work nice. And it takes me like a couple of hours to make. And the interesting thing is I was looking at the download counts of those and they were huge. Like those really caught on. Like people apparently really liked the one page stuff, which I had no idea. Like I, it wasn't something that I was looking for. So I had no idea that that was such a big impact. And so I was like, okay, what if instead of trying to be like one of these bigger guys and doing everything, what if I just really, really narrow down the scope of what I'm doing? to just one page because from a technical standpoint one page is a hell of a lot easier to deal with than like you know a shit ton of pages with just you know tons of stuff going on lots of content and stuff one page is very simple very easy to manage for you know one person me building this thing and so it ended up being like the perfect fit yeah okay i'm gonna do a site builder but for just one page sites and turns out in retrospect that was a great idea (laughs) but uh it not only like saved me a ton of work, a ton of time and resources to build the thing, but also just it turned out to be a good idea that really caught on with a lot of people. 
What did you uh, build the product in? Like, it's a. I mean, I don't get too deep into the stack for various reasons, but it's mostly JavaScript. Wow, which fits me just fine because if you do, I mean, if you see some of the later templates I did for HTML5 up, they're pretty JavaScript heavy. Granted, they use jQuery, but like, I and started getting more into doing vanilla JS type stuff. And you can do a lot with JavaScript. It's kind of nuts that it's just become this weird Swiss Army knife of the internet. So, are you a fan of vanilla JS then? I am because I, I know yeah. like these days there's so much like you know talk about you know the cool kids with React and Vue and all of this stuff. And and then you know the, the other day I was looking at um, Basecamp and it was like they have their own JavaScript kind of light framework. I think it's called Stimulus. I was like, well, there's still plenty of examples of people out there who are building great stuff and they don't have to do more than, you know, use some vanilla JS. Right. So in fairness, when I built Card originally, I wasn't quite as competent in vanilla JS. So there is still quite a bit of jQuery in there, which, you know, I'm not embarrassed. Well, jQuery is awesome. I'm, I'm not afraid to admit that. But yeah, like the framework thing, I've ranted about it on Twitter a few times, maybe a few times too many, <laughs> but quite honestly, I don't have a problem with people using frameworks. And I think frameworks are great. Whatever really gets you from your idea to actually building something, use whatever the hell, man. I, I don't care. You know, do whatever you want. I'm not an ideologue when it comes to that stuff. I will say, however, that vanilla JS, you can do, well, not, especially now that Internet Explorer 8 is basically in the ground, like you can do so much with just plain JavaScript now. Like, you don't necessarily need a framework. And in many ways, I'm a big fan of, instead of trying to fit your product around a framework, because, you know, frameworks, part of what makes a framework a framework is just, it's almost like an ideology for how you do things in that context, right? Yeah. So whatever your idea is for your product, you're having to basically stretch over that framework to get it to work somehow. So there are going to be times where you're sort of crashing into it because it does things one way and you kind of wish it did things another. So I'm almost a fan of, you know, if you can forego that situation and just kind of build your own pseudo framework for your specific product or project or whatever, if that makes sense. So you're not trying to fit your idea around someone else's framework. You're building a framework specifically for your idea. Right, right. Yeah, I have this side project, this app that I I built and it just uses jQuery. And I keep saying to myself, oh, I should kind of rebuild the, the front end with React or Vue.js. And then it's like, well, in order to do that, the back end is like Flask and Python. So I'd really have to kind of lose the templating kind of piece of that and build APIs around that. And then I kind of like keep digging this hole deeper and deeper about all this stuff that I should do. And then the the reality is that, you know, actually it works and I could still keep using jQuery if I wanted to. And yeah, sometimes you just get caught in this thing about getting excited about the bells and whistles and the technology and, and trying to do things the way that everybody else is doing them, like, because it's cool, but you don't really need to a lot of the times. No, and, and I think it's I think it's something a lot of newer developers get hung up on because they're still they're you know, they're just getting into it. 
they hear all these buzzwords, everyone's saying, oh, you should use this, you should use that. And they haven't quite already acquired the experience to be like, you know what? No, I'm not going to use that. I'm going to use this instead, you know, or I'm just going to use vanilla JS. It's fine. You know, getting hung up on that is a great way to never actually ship anything. And I've seen so many people do that. And there are other places you're going to get hung up when building a product. So why get hung up on that? You know? Yeah, totally. Okay. So you kind of have the idea for COD and you're like, okay, I'm going to focus on one page. By the way, is it like one page that's the focus or like technically it's restricted to one page? Like if I wanted to like, oh, can I create a second page? Well, it's, okay. So it's, it's literally a single HTML file. Like fundamentally card is a static site generator. I mean, you know, after, once you get to it, that's pretty much what it's doing. And it's generating a single HTML file for your site. Now, as far as having additional pages, well, it does have a, it has a feature called sections that lets you kind of simulate additional pages within the same single page. It works well, and it actually ended up being a funny thing where I added that feature, and it ended up being used in ways that just blew me away. Like, which I can get to later, but like what users do with what you make, kind of, kind of just it can, can really surprise you sometimes. And that was an example of it. Yeah, and I'll give you an example. Like, what were people doing? For one thing, I originally added just so, like, well, okay, so you want to have like a separate little about quote unquote page on your site. Okay. So you can use it for that. But then I saw people using it for everything from like creating modals, like pseudo modals after like a form has been submitted. So like you submit a form and then this thing comes out that looks like an actual modal, but it's actually just a section that says, thank you. And you click a button that takes you back. I was like, wow, that's, I never thought you could do that, but that makes sense that you totally can. Or uh, people using it to kind of make presentations which is weird. Like I've seen like high school kids use card to build school presentation things, which, which is nuts. Wow. Cool. I mean, I just, I just didn't expect it, you know? So uh, I won't get too, too far down that rabbit hole, but yeah, just seeing what users can do with what you make is another motivating factor, which that just keeps you going. Well, the one thing I've realized about you based on the very long conversation we had before we did even any recording, yeah. was that all these rabbit holes, there's usually something interesting down there. So I'm maybe for the purposes of this podcast, uh, we'll limit them, but I'm always happy to go down those rabbit holes with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yes, yeah, so there, there are plenty more. We'll, we'll avoid going too, too deep on them, though, yeah, like you said. <laughs> all right. So how long did it take you to build the first version of COD? Let's see. So I came up with the idea in like mm, February, March of 2015. I started work on it that summer because I had to get some other stuff taken care of. I had a pre pre alpha of just the what's called the generator side, basically the static site generator portion of it. It took about a couple weeks to throw together. And then from there, I had a working pre alpha that I sent out to about a dozen friends by around, I want to say October. So it just, it, it didn't take too long, actually. And my math is right. It's like five months or so to build the first version. Now, granted, like compared to what you see today, yeah, it's like that thing was super primitive, but it was enough to kind of give people a sense of what I was trying to do. And I actually got a huge amount of really useful feedback just from having this crappy prototype sent out for them to play with 
And I, I very quickly like discovered, you know, pain points and things that, you know, just didn't make sense. Things I needed to do, things I needed to add. Like, for instance, the idea of having starter templates wasn't in at that point. In fact, it wasn't even something I was considering until my friends were like, yeah, it's great, but I'm not a designer. What the hell am I going to do with a text element or an image? You know, like they have, they look at it and it's just like, it's just a blank screen. What are you going to help me here? <laughs> so then I was like, okay, maybe it would make sense to have templates, which ended up being, you know, this great idea that is going to feel some other stuff coming soon. But, you know, like things like that, I got out of that phase of the project. But uh, yeah, about five, six months. So, you know, like a lot of the times when when people build a new product, there's always this like you start looking out in the market and you look at other similar products or competitors and you're like, wow, there's a really high bar for all the things that I should have. And it's easy to get sucked into that where, you know, you just feel like you've got to put so much into this product for it to be decent or for people to want to pay it, you know, get people to pay attention to it. And the reality is that a lot of the times that, you know, I've spoken to, you know, a lot of founders, the first version of the product they often start with, it's not that great. And it's just kind of maybe solves a small problem. And there's just still a lot of things that, that, you know, it doesn't do. And so is there like something like when you were launching this, like, did you have that struggle where you felt like there were all these things that you wanted to add? but you didn't. And now you look back and sort of say, yeah, that was a smart thing for me to sort of take that approach. Like what's some of that experience of wisdom we can share with people who are kind of like struggling with that dilemma right now. So this won't apply to everybody, but at least in my case, I did not have this problem at all because from the get go, the whole reason why I did this project was to challenge myself and do things my own way to see what of my own ideas would work and what wouldn't work. I didn't really have any interest in looking at the competition and just mimicking what they were doing, which is fine for some products where you're trying to be competitive in a specific space. You'll need to do that to know what features people look for. In my case, I wanted to do something entirely new, whether or not it worked or not. So for me, it ended up being a big benefit because I don't have that stress of trying to figure out, oh, what is you know this company doing or that company doing? I just look at a problem that comes my way and then solve it in the way that I would solve it without really looking elsewhere. And again, it doesn't apply to everybody, but it is a very freeing feeling to not have to keep worrying about what everyone else is doing. And you're just focusing on the thing that you're doing in front of you. Yeah, no, that's great advice. And I think if people can do that, it takes a lot of pressure and stress off in many ways, right? It's just... Right. And, and in fairness, I mean, again, the reason why I say it doesn't apply to everyone is because not only is it a... Well, it depends on the product and category that you're in, but also, you know, are you self-funded? Are you bootstrapping? Or are you, do you have investors? Is this going to be your full-time gig? If that's the case, you know, full-time gig is in like you're quitting a job to do this and you have bills to pay. You're going to need to be a little bit more conscious of what the market's doing you can't just do what i'm doing yeah so i I can't stress that enough i don't want people just going out there saying well i'm just going to build a product not look at what anyone else is doing it's like okay just make sure that all the other variables in that equation line up for that as well as they did for me right if not then there's nothing wrong with looking at what the competition is doing (laughs) i don't want people making you know a rash judgment just because you know some dude on a podcast is talking about how awesome it is for him (laughs) yeah 
and again to remind everyone you didn't have that pressure because you were still generating some decent money from pixelarity yeah that helps so much and so this this was kind of more like a fun project it wasn't like this is i'm building this card thing and this is going to be the business and i'm going all in and it's got to work right and it's not like i went to friends and family it's like hey guys can you give me some seed money so i could do this idea or it's not like i went to investors or anything it's like it was just it was just a thing if it worked it worked if it didn't it didn't you know i I did not have the pressure that other people have and i am very cognizant of those situations that people are in so again don't think that my my way is the (laughs) is the way that everyone should be because it's certainly not let's talk about marketing because your whole marketing kind of approach it was really interesting with card and typically you know when we think start thinking about a product like this and how we're going to market it we'll have a whole bunch of things you know i'm going to run facebook ads i'm going to start doing content marketing i'm going to build a blog right. i'm going to build an email list da, da, da. you didn't do any of that right <laughs> no <laughs> what did you do I basically just tweeted it out. Like, oh yeah, I'm done with this thing. Here, go check it out. And part of it is because what I was just talking about, I didn't have that pressure of having, like this didn't have to succeed. You know, like, so when you have that option, which I know it sounds very, uh, almost douchey really, like (laughs) just, it didn't have to succeed. So like, I'm not going to go nuts over, you know, trying to line up a marketing strategy or anything. I just tweeted out. I had a sizable, I forget exactly what I had. I had a sizable Twitter following at that point. I was like, hey, I'm done with this thing that I've been working on. Go check it out. And then it just kind of started rolling on from there. Now, it'd be unfair to not to say that part of what really kicked it up to the next level, however, was once it got put up on Product Hunt. Now, that kind of blew up. That's really when it it moved to the next level. And so I can't thank Ryan Hoover and his team enough for putting that thing together and really giving products like mine a place to really show off, even with as a small of an investment, if any, I put into marketing, a product like that can blow up so intensely on a platform like his. I mean, he really built something special there. So, But you didn't put it on Product Hunt or you didn't have some kind of launch plan. The funny story is one of my followers actually hunted it on there, but before it was actually launched. So it was just a a coming soon page and it never actually got featured. (laughs) So I was like, well, shit, man. (laughs) Like, it's not even a thing yet. So I actually sent a DM to... uh, one of the folks who worked at Product Hunt, it's like, hey, I actually just launched this thing for real now. And one of my followers kind of jumped the gun and, and posted it before it was ready. So it didn't get consideration to be featured. I was wondering if you guys could take another look. And I very quickly got back and applied. It's like, oh yeah, it'll, it'll go up tomorrow. I was like, oh, sweet. And then that day was the day that like the thing just blew up. And it was incredible because it gave me a glimpse of what was to come in terms of how like, just the volume and scale and things that it's interesting when, when you get featured on a place like product hunt or other places, but product hunt in particular, because it's so focused, it is a preview for, for scale, which I'll get into later, but it it really does show you where the cracks are and and the things that could easily break in something that you've made. And yeah, that was a great experience, but yeah, that was pretty much the marketing I did tweeting it out and then it getting put on product hunt. So, as far as Twitter goes, you have like over 50,000 followers. And I see like a lot of people who have like, you know, 100,000, 150,000 followers, but they're also following people, right? So they're just playing that game where it's like, 
keep following a bunch of people. Some will follow back. The ones that don't unfollow them, yeah. follow a bunch more people. And you keep, keep building up that way. Right. Yeah. But you have a friend who actually has a script who does like, oh, okay. nice. I don't know that. I didn't know that this was a thing, but that's interesting that people do that. Yeah. And so how did you build your following? Like before you got to the point where you sent that tweet about his card, like what were you doing on there that started to build this following? So that I would say almost entirely came from having pretty prominent placement of my Twitter account on HTML5 up. I had, I think even to this day, there's a button up there that says, you know, follow me for updates, like new stuff. And it turns out people like free stuff. So they ended up following me, you know, whenever I post an update to HTML5 up, I'd also tweet about it. And so that was just a fast way for them to get that notification. But yeah, all came from that. And then from there, it, it kind of grew from there though. Once, you know, people figure out maybe this guy has something more to him than just making site templates, you know? Right. And as far as product hunt went, you kind of, again, it only went up there because your friend hunted it too soon. Yeah. Right. He hunted it too soon as in it was just, a, it was literally just a coming soon page. There was nothing there. So yeah, I was yeah, like, well, of yeah. course it didn't get featured. It wouldn't make sense. So the only work you did there was to send that email asking them to reconsider it once this life. Yeah, I, I DM'd one of the folks. So I was like, hey, yeah. And they were cool enough to reply very quickly. And then it got reconsidered. And then it went up the next day, which was pretty awesome. And what did those those two things do? Like, were you selling card at that time? Or it was like, here's just available and you can sign up for free and I'll figure out how to charge for it. So I did I did put some thought into this. So I actually... So two two components of this. First thing was... I, I like the way you said that. Like, I did put some thought into this part. Yes. It, shocking as it may seem, I do occasionally put thought into things. And this was one of those times where I you know, really focused and put some thought into a thing. So the first thing was... Because actually, HTML5 up went up on Product Hunt in its very early days. And I noticed a huge spike in traffic on it someday. I was like, where the hell is this coming from? And I saw it was coming from the site called Product Hunt. And I tracked it down. I was like, holy shit, Like this, this is pretty awesome that this thing exists and it helps elevate the profile of, of these products that people would otherwise not know about. So I knew that if card got featured though, it, I don't know. I didn't know if it would get as good of an effect as HTML5 up had, but it would get a good bit of traction from that day. So I want to maximize what I would get out of it. So the two things I did was the first was card has a, you can use it without signing up as in you can go to card.co forward slash build, pick out a template or don't pick out a template, whatever you want to do, and actually just build a site. You don't have to type anything. You don't have to give an email. You don't have to do anything. You just build whatever you want. Just play with it. If you like it, like if you like what you just made, then you can publish it, put in your email and all that stuff. But if you didn't like it, you can just go away. And we were talking about this before, but the, I think the correct term is low friction. <laughs> yeah. So you can very casually just without even touching your keyboard, just accidentally build yourself a website, which is pretty cool. And so I knew having something like that, because I and this is just from personal experience. I hated going and, oh, I want to try this out. Oh, it wants my name and email and a phone number or something. You know, like I just want to see what this thing is. I don't want to give you all of my information just to try it out, you know, because then you're just going to bother me later. So forget that. And at the same time, I didn't want to put up like a video making a video or something demonstrating the product. I'm like, screw that. I don't have time for that. I'm just going to let people try it for themselves. And I'll try to design the architecture of this thing such that you can do that. You can try it out before even signing up. And so I did that and that turned out to be a good idea. And then the second thing I did was 
I made sure there was actually a way for you to pay for this thing if you want. So I, I had to come up with a, well, I ended up calling a pro plan with additional features that you could get access to. Originally, it was just one plan, $19 a year. That plan still exists. There are just other plans that you can get now. They're cheaper and more expensive. So I made sure both of those things were ready to go before I started putting out the word for card. And so when it launched on Product Hunt that day, yeah, that was insane. It really took off because people were able to just go in casually and try out the product without having to give up any information. And it turns out that when you let people do that, it's much better than showing them, you know, some freaking intro video or demo video or like having a really long and lengthy marketing page that explains what the product is. It turns out just letting them use it is the best marketing you could possibly have if your product is good, apparently. And yeah, those are like the two major things I did. The two major things I put thought into. Everything else I didn't put any thought into. So let's just get that out of the way. <laughs> and was the product good at that point? Like I mentioned about the podcast, like, do you look back at that first version and, and sort of cringe about things that it did badly or didn't do at all? So the thing is like, I actually, I don't have that thing where I look back at my old work and cringe. I look at it as like, oh, I learned how to do this back then. That's cool. Like there's it, very little I look back at and just like, oh, I wish I didn't do that. You know? So even like old builds of card, I actually have, I think I have the pre-alpha and then even the pre-pre-alpha still loaded up on a server here just to check out every once in a while. Because I did some screenshots for some something I put out a while ago. Yeah, even looking at it now, it's not embarrassing in any way. It's just, no, this is where I was and here's where I am today. And so I guess as long as where I am now is greater than where I was, it's all good. And it's really nice to see that progress and being able to look back at it and say, oh, look, I learned how to do all these things and built this thing at that point. Now what I do is a lot better, but it's cool that I was able to figure this out back then and, and on all that. So no, there's, there's no cringe. <laughs> it might make other people cringe, yeah, but it doesn't make me cringe. I feel like I'm in a therapy session here. Like, <laughs> it's like, no, 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 actually, yeah, AJ's got a better way to think about this. But it's true. It's like, you know, if you have that sort of learning mindset and sort of a kind of more growth focused and you're just saying, hey, it's not about, you know, looking back and, and sort of cringing about it, but it's more about, am I making progress? Am I learning? Am I getting better? Then that's all good. Right. Right. Whereas, but it's still easy, right? It's just like, it's for a lot of people, it's like you put stuff out there and you're always like, man, are people going to like think this is crap? Anyway, I do anyway. <laughs> well, the, the nice thing about Product Hunt is that I can go back to that day, that post up there, which I believe March of 2016, I think is when it went up there. I can go there and I can see not only the upvotes, but also the comments people left compared to what card is today. Yeah, it was kind of crap compared to what it is today. It's not, it wasn't, for the time, it wasn't terrible, but relative to what it is now, yeah, it was kind of crap. But it, again, it goes back to what I was saying before, getting you know, that, that feedback loop from your users, getting feeling like, yes, I, I accomplished this. People appreciate it. And now I'm moving forward. Like I'm able to the, you know, take that and move forward. And also criticism. Like I got, I certainly had some people post their, you know, post comments or even email me saying, oh, you should do this, that. And I was like, okay, this is cool. Like I'm getting things that I can, you know, use as, as to, to like climb forward and improve and get better. And, and, you know, cause it's not just about getting good feedback. It's about getting any feedback. And as long as it's not Someone just say, well, your, your shit sucks, you know, just for no reason at all. It's good. It's all good. And you learn, you move forward, and you make even better things. So I can go back, look at 
the very earliest alpha I have a card, not cringe at it and be like, wow, it's amazing how far I've come since that day. Like just knowing what I know now, I would probably have done this and this different, but I'm glad I was at that point when I was just as I'm glad I'm at this point where I'm at now. Yeah. Yeah. Not to get too philosophical. I tend to go off on these. (laughs) Yeah. No, 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 no. I, I get you. And, um, you weren't charging a lot for card. Like you, you said nineteen, dollars a year, and yeah, now I think you have a plan which starts from nine dollars a year. Yeah. So, how did you come up with the pricing, and like, how did revenue grow after the tweet and the the product hunt? So I'll, I'll answer the second thing first. Revenue was sort of like kind of it got a huge boost when product hunt posted it, and then. You know, kind of obviously, like every other product that gets featured on product, it's a huge surge initially, and then it kind of goes down, but then it tapered off. And then it was sort of like definitely higher than the baseline it had prior to what was there before. But then it, over the months that would follow it, as I worked on it, added more features that, you know, the started trending upwards and upwards. And it's sort of been in that mode ever since, you know, up from less than a hundred bucks a day to, you know, close to a thousand a day, you know, like, that kind of thing. But as far as, how I came up with pricing, well, again, part of it was I didn't need to make a whole lot off this early on. So I didn't have, you know, oh, I have to make this much to break even. Because quite honestly, overhead was basically almost nothing. It was super cheap at that point. Now, it's a lot more now because I have a lot more servers and a lot more infrastructure in place because there's just that many more sites. Back then, not much in the way of cost. So I just didn't have to price it super high and I wasn't really greedy. So whatever. But also the... uh Pricing was, as I looked at it, fair for what you were getting. For that, actually, I did look at the competition to an extent, just to figure out. You know, I don't want to charge too much or too little. I just wanted to, you know, put it somewhere where people felt this was fair. And nineteen bucks a year felt fair for what Card offered at the time, which was not a whole lot. I mean, you couldn't really build super, the really, quite honestly, the elaborate stuff that people make now. You couldn't do back then, so it felt fair. So 19 bucks a year was, I think, a good fit at that time. But, you know, since then, as you mentioned, I've got an even cheaper plan, but I also have more expensive plans now because I've added more and more complex features on top of what was originally there. And so I figured, well, it makes sense. Instead of just raising the price of that plan, I can add additional plans so people can pay for what they actually need rather than, you know, making them all pay the same thing. And as far as like that $9 a year plan, that was... Actually, I added that mostly for a uh, an interesting demographic that began using card, mostly younger people, which is interesting, building you know, little fan sites for various things, but they wanted a few more features than what the free plan offered. You know, But they didn't need all the stuff that came with the normal per plan. So I was like, well, okay, I'll make a slightly cheaper plan with basically none of those pro features that you get in the normal pro plan, but also with some of the limitations of the basic free plan taken away and it actually caught on. So, uh, and I'm surprised it actually didn't cannibalize any of the other plans. So that's pretty great. Wow. And then, so beyond the tweet and the product hunt stuff that we talked about, what other kind of marketing did you do? None word of mouth, I guess is what I really (laughs) rely on. And I, I think again, part of it is, the one other thing that I put thought into, which was having the frictionless or low friction, no friction, uh, anyway, whatever, yeah, whatever it is that got you into the product, like, yeah, whatever, like that really helps because then someone can say, hey, you should check out this. Someone can build a site, and oh, okay, well, on the free sites, there's a thing at the bottom that says made with card, 
so if you see a site that's built with card, you're like, oh, this is pretty cool, you know, whatever. And then you click on that out of curiosity. Within 30 seconds, you could be building a site of your own without having signed up. So there's sort of almost like this flow from like stumbling upon card one way or another, either through word of mouth or through a link from someone else's site. And then getting to where you're actually building a site yourself with very little friction along the way. So that I think has probably been the biggest driver since day one and probably continues to be as well. Since again, I'm not really doing any other marketing. So, well, I guess this, this podcast is technically marketing, I guess. So (laughs) yeah, maybe I'm doing more than I think. Yeah. But then I reached out to you. Fair, fair. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. And cause I was like, oh, this is such an interesting story. It's not like, you know, you were kind of like pitching, Hey, I'm going to do this round of podcasts. And is that a thing? uh, So yeah, they wow. do that, man. Yeah. There, there, there are people who will, you can hire to help you get on podcasts. Like an agent. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Show me the money. Yeah. Okay. All right. So we should wrap up soon, but I wanted to talk a little bit about like, okay, you talked about like the multiple hats and wearing, you know, all of these things. What does your typical day look like? How much time do you spend on the product every day? Obviously, you're not doing much marketing, but you're doing all the support yourself. And what other stuff do you have to do on a daily basis? So my day typically looks like, well, the first part usually is support and content moderation, which like I mentioned early on in the podcast, my business partner handles the bulk of that now, but there's some stuff that is indeterminate that we're still trying to figure out what we need to do with. And it's not like we get a lot of crazy stuff posted, but there's still some you know areas that border on, you know, is this spam? Is this is this questionable in some certain way? And what do we do with it? So those things get flagged by him for me to look at. And then I look at those and we don't get a ton, but you know, I still check them every day. I do actually, and I do support again later on in it, but then for the rest of the day, when I'm working on the product, it's just whatever has to be worked on at that point, which right now is as of the recording of this podcast is getting our payment system ready for, you know, the new SCA regulations that are kicking in, you know, because Stripe had to basically redo their entire API. And also some other pretty large things that I figured I may as well do at the same time, which I think people really appreciate once it launches. But then, yeah, it, it really just depends on what has to be worked on. There's so much... For a project like Card, there's just so much I could be doing with it. Like I have a few dozen to-do lists for every... One for each aspect of card, and it's just there's so much there. Like every time I think of something, I just add it, or some. Anytime someone suggests something, I'll consider it, and if I think it's something that will work, I'll add it. And I will basically never run out of things to work on, so long as I'm working on card myself. Now, I, I think the multiple hats thing that can only be, and this might be going a little bit off topic for your question, but at some point, I don't think that's going to be sustainable. Because just the sheer growth of the product over time, if I look at just year over year is just a crazy increase. Who knows where it's going to be next year? There's a good chance I will not be able to just sustain this on my own or even with my business partner handling content moderation because it will just, no matter how much automation you add, at some point you're just going to need to add more bodies to the mix, which for a guy like me is actually kind of not something that I really want to do. It's something that I would have to do and not because the product would fail, but also because I just want to maintain a certain level of service for our pretty sizable user base at this point. And also, you know, new users coming in. I don't want the the quality of the product to go down because I'm 
insistent on just running this myself. Like I have to be realistic about it. So are you kind of subscribed to like sort of the company of one type mindset? Yeah. Well, I mean, I was actually on, if you're referring to Paul Jarvis, I was actually yeah. on his little his podcast as well. Um, yeah, to an extent, but I think there is a, depending on the product. So some products like so my buddy, Peter Levels, who runs Nomad List, that's, that's pretty much a solo affair. I mean, he has some people helping him out here and there, but it's pretty much him on it. Product like that, I think, is much easier to run and scale with just one or a few people than maybe a product like Card that has a lot of user content. I think that's really where the delineation is. It's like, could Twitter exist with one person running it? Hell no. There's no way. Because you just have, with more users and more user-generated content, the more overhead there is to deal with that content. In terms of not just moderation, but also storage and management and backups and things like that. Like if there's one mistake I made early on, it's that I didn't think this would be as big as it became, which I know is is almost like a humble brag, (laughs) but it really is a serious consideration because there are some scale decisions I would have made. Now I, I did take scale kind of into account early on, but not to the extent that I should have, which I think it was, you know, Paul Graham, I think he's, he says, do things that don't scale. And, I, and I'm pretty sure I more than once said, do things that don't scale, but kind of plan for it <laughs> but, so you don't get screwed. Yeah. And I, I planned for it, but not enough, I think. So over the last like uh, six, nine months, it's pretty much me being pretty hardcore about doing that. I finally scaling the things that need to be scaled, you know, increasing our infrastructure, redoing our entire payment system, redoing how a whole bunch of other things are done under the hood that users won't actually notice, but they may eventually feel because things will just run faster and better. So, and I totally forgot your question because here I go with one of my rants, but the, uh, <laughs> I've got to ask you like something else you just kind of reminded me of is like, are you doing all the support through Twitter DMs? No, through email. Although I still, let, I tell people like, look, just contact me however, because at this point it's all going to the same place anyway so just if you want to tweet at me or dm me or email or use the form on the site you know whatever it's going to be the same person replying to you does that go into a help desk system or it's just like an email no it's it's just if you dm me we talk over dm if you email me we talk over email (laughs) for now again but that's another thing that's going to have to scale because at some point i can't answer 100 inquiries a day you know it's just without that just being my full-time job which it can't be because i'm also coding yeah yeah that's why i think the uh Solo bootstrapper archetype, if I can even call it that, I think kind of it's not realistic past a certain scale. I think it, it, you just you just can't do it. And I think if there's one thing I've learned in the last three years of there's a three years now, three four years of doing this at this point, it's that yeah you, you can't do it all on your own, at least not forever. So just be ready for that. That's good advice. All right, we should uh, wrap up. So now we're going to get into the tough part. We're going to do the lightning round. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to ask you seven questions. <laughs> Just try to answer them as quickly as you can. All right. All right. What's the best piece of business advice you've ever received? Well, I think Paul Graham's thing, uh, do things that don't scale. In general, that is a great idea. And listen to it. Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. What book would you recommend to our audience and why? Oh, I haven't really read any books relevant to the topic. <laughs> Sorry. Well, what do you like reading? Honestly, I haven't had a lot of time to read. I do, do read like a lot of fiction when I get a chance, like, you know, just 
a lot of uh, William Gibson stuff. Pretty big into cyberpunk, that that genre. Yeah, nothing really pertinent to what we're talking about, unfortunately. So I, I guess I should have prepared a little on that. <laughs> All right. What's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful founder? I'd say a, a willingness to kind of put in the work yourself. Now, it doesn't matter what it is. Just, you know, if it's support, be willing to do support. If it's coding, be willing to do coding, especially early on. Now, at some point, you can put other people in those roles. But early on, you need to be willing to at least do it yourself if for no other reason to understand what's what goes into those things. What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? I'd say just having hobbies that aren't computer related, you know, like just like exercising or running or, or, you know, bike riding, anything that takes me away from screens has probably been the best thing for me since doing this, because it's just, it helps to just take your mind out of the context that it seems to be in, you know, 10 plus hours out of every day. I just started playing golf a few months ago. Oh, nice. Yeah. I, I don't know if I'd be much of a golfer, but that, it does look kind of fun. Oh, I suck so badly. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's more about the fun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> as long as I'm getting better, right? <laughs> right, exactly. What's a new or crazy business idea you'd love to pursue if you had the extra time? I think something in VR, strangely enough. I was actually uh, kind of down on the whole VR thing up until I tried out my friend's Oculus Quest a couple months ago. And then five minutes later, I ordered one. So it was like, there's something there. I don't know if it's fully developed yet, but it just seems like we're eating around the edges of something really cool. Yeah, yeah. That's a separate conversation. <laughs> I have a few thoughts on that. <laughs> What's uh, an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? Oh, so I've been designing like site templates and stuff for, for years now. And I've actually, HTML5, it was actually, wasn't the first time I started giving them away for free. I put them up on other sites and since I've been doing it for so long, I've actually come across sites just searching for other things using my templates from way back when. So apparently my old crap litters the internet, which is kind of fun to think about <laughs> in a way. It's like plastic that never de like decomposes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Love that. And finally, what's one of your most important passions outside of your work? I'd say just being outside, you know, <laughs> kind of goes back to the habit thing, but just like just kind of enjoying life, like trying not taking this too seriously, which again, I understand is a luxury that is somewhat unique to my situation. But I think, you know, everyone can just benefit from occasionally just dialing it back down and really just putting it all in perspective. Why are you doing what you're doing? Is it really as important as, you know, other things in your life, like, you know, your family or your health and whatnot, and just try to enjoy existing outside of whatever it is that your occupation happens to be. Yeah, I love that. I don't know if that's a passion, but it, it, it kind of is for me. Well, yeah, I think it is. Okay. You pass. <laughs> all right, all right, cool. All right, so if people want to find out more about COD, they can go to COD.co. That's with a double R. Yes, because that was trendy back then. <laughs> it was trendy, yeah. Also, trying to find a name really is so hard for a thing like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah tell me yeah. about it for those who are, who are actually interested there is a write-up i did about a year after i launched card uh, it is the making of dot card dot co again with two r's where i actually go into the whole name thing and why card is the name that it has today and how how that was a whole cluster and in, in unto itself i didn't know you had that site it just it's the making of card yeah just the making of dot card dot co see what i did there it's very clever. Uh, okay, I got it. Yeah. The making of dot card with a double R. Okay. Yeah. Dot CO. 
Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, I, we'll yeah. put that in the show notes. Yep. And Sounds like you didn't do your research. Oh, uh, I know. I know. It's, I've been slacking. <laughs> 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 and then if people want to go to HTML5up, it's HTML5up.net. Or .com. I finally got that years ago. Oh, right. Not that it matters. <laughs> and uh, pixelarity.com. Yeah. That's it. And if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Twitter at AJLKN or just email AJ at LKN.io. So that's, you know, whatever. Sweet. My DMs are open on Twitter. If you want to say hi or complain or whatever it is you want to do, that's fine. (laughs) Yeah. Cool. That's great. All right. That was great. Thanks for joining me, man. That was great. Hey, I really appreciate it, man. I had a great time. Wish you all the best. Take care. Thank you. Cheers.